This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Brian and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 16th, 2017. This is episode 115, American Assassin and Awesome Action. So before we jump into the wide range of topics we have to discuss today, Brian, how was your week? Good. I got a lot done. I made a serious dent in Soul Cycle Book for the Ophian Rising. Looking to have that out this fall. Awesome. Um, the uh, uh, you <laughs> by the way, folks, our our co-host, our fellow host, Doranal, is uh, missing today. She is. Uh, he is. Sorry, I'm reading. At the same time, I'm talking. It's a bad habit. But I've got somebody in my mentions on Twitter who can't, who got offended by something I said and can't let it go. So I'll just figured I, I would let him talk on and on and on. And sooner or later, he'll get tired, declare victory because I'm not arguing with them and wander off. So I will let that play out. Um, he, Doranal, is uh was on a plane to parts unknown it's his vacation weekend and he will not be here for the show it's his uh vacation weekend and so he this is going to be topical in just a second trust me this is not a long rambling story just for the sake of rambling a long time while he was in the air he was reading something and uh, passed along a micro-review, a, uh, a, a judgment, if you will, about the piece he was reading. Now, Brian, do you recall what it was he read and what his verdict was? Yes, it was my high fantasy novella, The Hymn of the Pearl. And he said he really enjoyed it. So it was really good. And uh, coincidentally, folks, um, there is a link to check out the Soul Cycle trilogy and the Hymn of the Pearl, both of them, in the description below this video. Not so only that, too. really quick, not only that, um, it's also a good chance to tell people that they can get the Hymn of the Pearl for free, absolutely free, by clicking on the link to my website, Kairos, in the show notes. And. I'm giving away for free to anyone who signs up for my newsletter. So not only do you get free book, but also you get uh, first crack at any news and special deals that I release. And I promise, hand on my heart, I will never spam you. All right. I don't know. I, I kind of want to talk about the Twitter thing right now. Okay. Um, because it wasn't a big Twitter thing. I was... I was sitting on the couch downstairs watching the first half of the second uh, Musashi movie, uh, which is made during the 1950s. It's a samurai epic. It's a trilogy of movies um, that talks about uh, this samurai, this peasant. He begins living as a peasant and later becomes a samurai. I've only finished the first two. I haven't seen them 
before. Um, they, I had a bad introduction to the trilogy because I started by watching The Seven Samurai. And I was, which is a great movie. It's an awesome movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Seven Samurai is an excellent movie. You should absolutely go check that out if you haven't. Now, I was watch. I watched the uh, the Seven Samurai, and I kind of, I kind of subconsciously expected the Samurai trilogy um, to be much like Seven Samurai, and it absolutely is not. So I've watched the first two movies now. I was in the middle of the second movie, which is called Duel at Ichijoji Temple. And uh, I, I got this idea. This just popped into my head. And I don't even recall why it popped into my head. So I did a quick series of tweets about it. And then... In order to illustrate one of the points I made, I started posting some pictures of current modern comics. And that, um, for the last two days, that has uh, consumed my timeline on Twitter. Uh, because apparently pointing out what I pointed out about Marvel, which is just the same thing that other people recently have pointed out, uh, which I'll get to when I start reading these tweets, it's offensive to some people. Some people were upset, but a lot of other people were upset because of what I showed. They were upset because of the pictures that I illustrated my point with, and uh, it's just continued on and on. People are particularly mad about She-Hulk, and I'll explain that in context in just a sec. So here's my tweets. I'm going to read these real quick. Um, good but misguided, and, and Brian, if you have any comments or have any questions, you know, feel free to interrupt. Um, okay. Good but misguided people think that SJWs are pro-modesty because they loathe revealing clothing. This isn't true. They loathe sexy women entirely. Look at Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Carl Manvers. Her face is masculine, her body, everything. Tight clothing, men's features. There is a... And uh, in the moment, I set up one of these Twitter moments and stuck in all the tweets about this subject. What I've included at this point is feminine women are despised in today's Marvel comic with a picture illustrating the point, a picture of what used to be um, the all-female Avengers called A-Force, uh, as depicted in the brand new first issue to The Runaways, which came out three days ago. It's a picture of She-Hulk Captain Marvel, Medusa of the Inhumans, and Dazzler the Mutant, along with two other characters who I've never heard of before. Um, it's a picture of A-Force, and they have gone to great extent to make uh, half the team, the women, look absolutely masculine, masculine jaws, masculine bodies, no breasts, or very little breasts, and then went to great effect, uh, great lengths to make Dazzler look androgynous. So feminine women, I said, and the two women who look kind of feminine, one is dressed up in a big coat which covers her entire body, and uh, the other one is you can barely see her. 
Feminine women are despised in today's Marvel comics, and this picture was an illustration of the point. Now, continuing the original tweets, there is a deep sickness in those who go full social justice. Normal, healthy sexuality, attraction, desire, beauty is anathema to them. I'm in favor of modesty. It is something to be treasured. Hating sexiness and sexuality is not something to be treasured. That is dysfunction. Hating sexiness and sexuality is dysfunction. I feel sad for people who have become so twisted in their hearts that they hate something so integral to humanity, to our humanity. Oppose them, yes, but also pity them, for they feel no pleasure at the sight of a beautiful woman or a strong man, a muscular man. Appreciation of beauty is intrinsic to our being. It evokes awe, a deeply affecting and spiritual experience. Now let me step out of the tweets here. Anything beautiful, of sublime beauty, can evoke awe. You can have awe evoked by a gorgeous, soaring building, by a piece of music that touches you so much you can't even speak, or by seeing someone who is absolutely beautiful, uh, any beautiful piece of artwork, a painting, a sculpture, a piece of poetry, a book. This is why art is significant. The most fundamental purpose of art is to bring us in contact with things of sublime beauty. Because when we encounter things of sublime beauty, it evokes this sense of awe, which this is this quiet, all-penetrating feeling of wonderment at something so amazing. It is a deeply it affects you deeply, and it's a deeply spiritual experience. Having a sense of awe, when that happens to you, people feel connected to the divine. They feel connected to God. And people who experience God, even if they're not believers, they begin to believe more. Awe, beauty is absolutely essential to who we are as human beings. It is intrinsic in us, and it is deeply spiritual. Physical beauty can evoke awe. Now, it can also evoke lust, but that's kind of to the side. That's not the point. We're all familiar with lust. In today's society, we're bathed in it. We're not bathed in awe. We're not bathed in art that is so beautiful, so inspiring, so magnificent that it evokes awe in us. Our music doesn't. Our TVs and movies, by and large, don't. There are exceptions, of course. Modern art has gone out of its way to banish anything that even hints at something good enough to evoke awe. This impoverishes us spiritually. It impoverishes us mentally. It impoverishes us as a culture. Back to the tweets. These people have no capacity to enjoy beauty, no capacity to appreciate it, and no capacity to feel awe in its presence. They do not feel beauty in their hearts, so they love ugliness. Thus, everything they make is ugly.
deeply so. If you've ever wondered why SJWs make ugly art, it's because they have banished the ability to love beauty. They loathe beauty and they love ugliness. That's why they make ugly art. That's why their stories are ugly, their music is ugly, their drawings are ugly. They have embraced ugliness inside themselves and so cannot produce things of beauty. Even if, now I'll take this example as a photographer, a social justice photographer whose model, whose woman, the woman he's shooting with his camera, may herself be astoundingly beautiful, and yet somehow the pictures they produce are degrading, they are sleazy, they are ugly. And they go out of their way to do this in many cases. The last tweet, so pity them. They feel no joy in beauty and find no satisfaction in crafting works of ugliness. They are a deeply unhappy people. Now, what I did uh, after a little bit was I realized that some people aren't going to understand exactly what I meant by Carl Manvers. So I put up some photos, two photos of classic Miss Marvel, and then two uh, or pictures, two illustrations of classic Mrs. Marvel, and then two pictures of the current Captain Marvel. Now, these are supposed to be the same woman. These are supposed to be the same character, Carol Danvers. But they look completely, amazingly, astoundingly uh, different. And it is this difference. One of them, the new one, Captain Marvel, looks uh, absolutely manlish, mannish. Big, muscular, square jawed, no breasts, completely mannish. And uh, it's heartbreaking to see a beautiful woman reduced to something that's so ugly. They have literally taken beauty and made it ugly. So I also, uh, um, after that, I just did this kind of ad hoc over the course of a couple of hours. I, I wasn't thinking about it. And someone said, well, I like the new costume. I said, well, the new costume can be done well. It just isn't done well. And then I included a picture of a, a fan drawing by Art Germ, Stanley Lau, who's a great artist, a great illustrator, does cover work and a bunch of other stuff for Marvel in DC. Um, of the new Captain Marvel costume, where she has hips, where she has a small waist, large bust, beautiful face, full lips, where, where she looks like a woman. As, again, an illustration. Um, I included a link to how these ugly characters are hurting comics um, by uh, diversity in comics. And then I started in on She-Hulk. And She-Hulk got the biggest response. I showed this new She-Hulk and then I, sh I showed illustrations, two of which were from the classic burn years of She-Hulk. Um, and then the one I showed, uh, this picture I had originally showed of, of her looking all mannish. And my comment was, um, who She-Hulk is now versus who she used to be, clearly nothing's changed at Marvel. Nope, clearly no bias against femininity. Someone came along and complained. They said, oh, well, there's, there's literally one feminine figure in the middle of the crowd. And I said, yeah literally one feminine figure in a crowd of formerly feminine, now mainly mannish superheroines. You have proven my exact point. And then I singled out Medusa, who's the head of the uh, Inhumans, the red-headed beauty whose hair is prehensile. Um, 
I included a bunch of pictures of that. I, I've got a, by the way, for those of you who are saying, oh, well, so you've got all these pictures. Well, we can't see these gosh darn pictures. No, you can't. I'm sorry. It's a limitation of the chat software we've got. But I've included a link to this moment where I have all these tweets in the description of the video. So you can check it out. You can see the pictures to which I am referring. And then I included a picture of Dazzler because the Dazzler they had uh, looks like a school marm. She, she, uh, she actually looks like Heather Antos, but uh, she looks almost like Lilith from Cheers. Um, she's androgynous, uh, only in a punk jacket. Lilith only in a punk jacket and, blonde, uh, and white hair. So um, Dazzler used to be a rock star. She's not a school marm. And then I moved in on Squirrel Girl and the controversy the upset has been continuing and more uh, uh twitter has seen fit now these are all comic book characters that's all they are they're the standard of modesty for normal comic book characters and yet twitter has stuck a warning a content warning on these tweets a content warning the following moment may contain sensitive content um yeah because i showed comic book characters twitter marked it as pornography or hate speech so someone complained about Squirrel Girl. She used to look ugly. So that means it's okay that they made her look ugly again. My point is a joke character, an ugly character, an artistic character is a guest character, not the lead of her own title. You know, if you're going to have her be the lead of her own title, she needs to be what she was. She started off as a joke character. They made something more out of her. And now Marvel has made her into a joke character again, but keeps on insisting she's a real superhero. We're supposed to take her seriously. Like she's Wolverine or Captain America. We're supposed to take her seriously. Like she's the new Spider-Man, Squirrel Girl. She's not. She's an idiot and she looks hideous. So the guy complained, well, you didn't show this and this and that. You only used one photo. I said, yeah, I only used one picture because it contained all this stuff. In one photo, it contained everything I needed to illustrate where Marvel went wrong. I said, but, it, you know, I didn't need to show four pictures or three pictures of ugly She-Hulk when I could just show one. But here you go. Here is... Good-looking She-Hulk, who she used to be, beautiful She-Hulk, and here's the three mannish She-Hulks that look ugly. One of which, which is an alternate cover to the new Hulk series, issue number three, actually literally shows ugly mannish She-Hulk choking hot She-Hulk to death. So... This is what has been eating up my time for the last two days. Apparently, while I was in the midst of defending the aesthetic of beauty, of defending the aesthetic of not just hot women, they're so hot, no, not just beautiful women, but beautiful statues, beautiful poetry, beautiful paintings, beautiful architecture, 
beautiful, well-tended garden, beautiful stories. While I was defending the aesthetic of beauty, I got dragged sideways into an argument that ugly was right. That ugly comic book characters are the way they, that's the way they should be. And then also apparently bad things happen in the world, which didn't surprise me. Um, the real world keeps marching on. But that's why I was, uh, that's why I was kind of distracted at the beginning of the show is because unlike, we were delayed for half an hour, folks. I do apologize for those of you who were waiting for us to go live. We were delayed for half an hour. But the way, uh, the reason why we were delayed wasn't technical issues. Oddly enough, it was uh, organic issues with people here at the house. They had a big, uh, a big party, a baby shower. And so everybody left later than they said they would. Meanwhile, I'm still having this uh, nagging person in my uh, mentions on Twitter. And that's what they're upset about, is a well-written, cogent defense of why aesthetics is not irrelevant, of why brutalist architecture didn't just make ugly buildings. It also brutalized the soul. It also damaged the ability of the citizens of those Eastern European and South African countries, Eastern European and South Africa, to feel a connection to the divine because brutal architecture never invokes a sense of awe and awe is intrinsic, uh, intrinsically involves feeling a connection with something larger than yourself. So um, now I know my co-host Brian who has you know, mercifully been silent, has some strong opinions on aesthetics. Um, th does that rant, uh, has that inspired any thoughts in you, Brian? Oh, absolutely. The, the main thought is, if you get the sense that not just Marvel Comics, but that the mass media in general is messing with you, that they're trying to make it so you can't have nice things and try to make you feel demoralized, you're absolutely right. It, it's intentional. It's concerted. It is malicious. Okay? Because the people in charge know that this stuff is ugly. All right? <laughs> they, they have nice things, right? They, they might not understand why, but, you know, they, they know. So the, the, the true believers, the, the useful idiots... Might actually drink the Kool-Aid, but no, these <sighs> how to how to put this? Okay, look, men have been from a purely biological standpoint, okay, designing women, and I don't mean the eighty succumb of Delta Burke. I mean because of the way that evolution and biology work, women are the way they are today because of men selecting their mothers for generations, right? So men have been guiding the evolution of, of women, of the female form through their, through their taste, through what they find aesthetically pleasing since the beginning. So first of all, you need to ask, why does Marvel hate science? Right? Because it's an evolutionary drive for men to be attracted to shapely feminine women. I saw Professor Nick Floor in your, your timeline pointing that out. You know that even, even women 
find feminine, shapely women more aesthetically appealing than you know more masculinized high T women, right? You know, that that's a state of nature. But as far as redrawing comic characters to make them look ugly, it reminds me of something Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, right? Where he talked about that shop owners would have to put in their windows in Eastern Bloc countries that used to say, workers of the world unite. And again, it wasn't necessarily that the shop owners believed in it, believed in the slogan. Some of them might have, but most of them probably didn't. But if you didn't have that star, you'd be subject to reprisals, right? And it, it wasn't usually as overt as some doing a trench coat coming in and taking out back and shooting you, but you know, maybe the order that you, you put in wouldn't be filled on time. You know, maybe you'd, you'd be charged a little more in, in taxes. You know, maybe uh, someone coming in, uh, you know, pour acid on your merchandise. It, and it was just social shaming. And you point out that the point of the star wasn't because even the, the people that, that, that made you put that in your window believed that all the workers of the world would rise up and over there the capitalist pigs and usher in the utopia of new Soviet man. It was to get people to make public statements that they knew weren't true, that they disagreed with to crush them, to demoralize them. Because when you've got people positing and stating and saying they agree with blatant absurdities, then they can't fight back. I mean, then, then they're malleable, they're ductile, they've, they've been crushed. And that, that's what Marvel is trying to do. Um, and you can... The quote that Solzhenitsyn has talks about when people are... It is the entire point of dictatorial governments um, to get people to repeat a lie because um, when they repeated uh, even a little bit of a lie, they became complicit in it. And by becoming complicit in it, um, they lost their probity. They lost the ability to tell what was true or false. So, the government forcing people to lie meant that they could no longer tell anymore inside in their minds they could no longer tell what was true or false especially about moral things because and i'm talking about a quote that was in the uh um the uh, the uh gulag archipelago so Making beautiful things ugly and then claiming that they are just as beautiful, which is what modern art has done ever since the Dada is. We are way, way, way off the track of where we normally are on this show. And we passed through comics to get here, folks. Um, just consider this your one shot educational moment on this show. The Dadaists. Uh, who originally were a troll of the art community. They were not a serious movement. They were, in, uh, were invented by a guy to come out and make 
the absolutely most absurd, stupid art they could, and the art community took it as a poe. They got poed. They thought it was real and so followed it. Their entire point is to make ugliness and call that ugliness beauty, to make that lie that ugly is beautiful, and then they internalize it, and they no longer have the ability to tell what's truly beautiful or not. They no longer have the ability to tell what's true or not because they have internalized those lies. Um, and I, I'm sorry I don't have Solzhenitsyn's quote here um, because it is... Uh, one of those examples of, uh, of beauty, one of those examples of um, beautiful writing. Um, so if someone, if someone knows it in the, uh, uh, in the chat, um, I would, I would love to read it so you can read it on the show, but we don't have time. Um, we're just going to have to uh, have to move on. Um, but that's uh, but to bring this back to what I was talking about, beauty is important in aesthetics because it's important in ourselves. Um, beauty is what up, is what uplifts us. It's what takes us above the common meat we have to deal with as everyday people. It's what uplifts us above the animal man. Beauty and truth and beautiful things. Every human society makes things that are beautiful. Even the most functional bull, even the most functional wooden bull, if you look at ancient cultures before we had agriculture, before we had written language, before we had anything resembling civilization, they put craftsmanship into it and make of it something beautiful. They draw pictures. They carve things. We hunger for beauty. We hunger for beauty because it is necessary. And to make something ugly, and then to lie about it and call it beautiful is to do damage, to damage that part of you which recognizes beauty, damage that part of you which knows beauty, and thus damage your, it makes it so that you can never fulfill that hunger for beauty, and it makes it so you can never feel awe, never feel that connection to something larger than yourself. And that's what is going on with these um with these SJWs who have infested uh, comics, especially Marvel. And that's what I was talking about. So that's a longer version of what my, my uh, tweet storm is about. But um, let's move on. I have said I believe all that needs to be said at this point. Are you good, Brian? It'll do. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so I want to talk about two different other things today. Um, American Assassin and John Mollison's Adventure Constant. Uh, full disclosure, John Mollison is a is a friend of mine, um, but uh, that doesn't stop me from having an honest appraisal of his work, from honestly liking his books. 
Um, he's a writer, uh, and I've included a link to Adventure Constant in the book I'm going to talk about. I don't... This is me thinking. And I know it's me leaving you hanging as an audience, that you're left in this dark void of silence, looking around and thinking, why are they boring the hell out of me right now? Why aren't they talking? Why aren't they providing me with entertainment? I apologize. Occasionally, I have to pause to allow my thoughts to process. Once upon a time, I didn't have to do that. But occasionally, now as I've gotten older, my brain cannot keep up with my mouth. So I've had to add in a little bit of pause in order to gather my thoughts, especially about Adventure Constant. I'll tell you why. I don't have a, a rant about Adventure Constant. I don't have a long, detailed theory comparing it to all these other things. I've got that about American Assassin. In fact, if you'll allow me to switch tracks for just a second, I don't even have to think about my opinion about American Assassin because it fits in with things I've talked about so much. It's really easy to define. It's Michael Keaton's new movie. It's got a, a bunch of actors, three actors you might have recognized, and it's about a kid whose fiance is shot and murdered mere minutes after he proposed to her on a beach uh, uh, somewhere in the world. She was shot and killed by Islamist terrorists. And then he goes out on a mission to find the terrorist responsible for murdering his fiance and kill him. And in the process of doing this, he's recruited by the CIA to become a terrorist killer. It's a thriller. It's an action-adventure movie. It's got a lot, a lot, a lot of shaky cam. The plot doesn't hold together real well, but Michael Keaton delivers such a compelling performance. And Michael Keaton is a star. His career was kind of dead a bit uh, for a while before Birdman, but he is a great actor, and he delivers a great performance in this role. It's good to see him getting more work now and more high-profile work, um, specifically in, like, Spider-Man Homecoming and this movie because he just does a killer job. He plays a, a Navy SEAL who is the trainer of these American assassins, and honestly, his performance is the best thing about the movie, and it makes it worthwhile to sit through the movie. Um, I'm not saying the rest of it is bad. It's not an amateurish movie. It's not a poorly made movie. It's just not great. And it's kind of muddled as it's to its morality. And if you're familiar with postmodern movie making, you'll see the plot twist coming a mile away. Or if you've seen the trailer, you already know what the big plot twist is going to be. So on that level, it's a little bit disappointing. And the combats are kind of hard to follow a lot of the time because of shaky cam. Um, but it, it's still put over the top solely because of Michael Keaton's performance. And if you like action movies, especially if you like Michael Keaton, you should go see it just for that. See, I didn't have to pause uh, because I have finely tuned my brain to analyze and understand movies and to present uh, to compare them to already existing examples of the oeuvre, compare them to aesthetic judgments I have made in the past, and and uh, deliver that opinion to you, our unusually intelligent and interactive audience. So let me stop for just a second. Brian, do you have any questions about American Assassin? No. You're on a roll. Go ahead. <laughs> 
I, I think that might be the shortest review I've given uh, on the show, actually. But, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm at a little bit of a loss uh, when it comes to Adventure Constant. Not because Adventure Constant is bad. Um, at least from my point of view, I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the book thoroughly from beginning to end. It is an example of the brand new pulp revolution movement, the pulp revolution scene. These writers from the pulp revolution, which, you know, uh, if you've listened to the show at all, you've heard us talk about them. John Mollison, Raleigh Nyanzi, um, uh, Miss Lane, uh, I don't want to say her first name because I'm going to get it wrong. I apologize. Um, David J. West, um, the uh, several other authors who uh, are part of the Pulp Revolution, John Mollison is one of them. And um, man, now see, I want to go look at a list because I know I've left people off and they're going to be people. Uh, Crusova Magazine, for example, I didn't mention, which is great. Um, and I've left people off that list, writers. It is not a slight. Please don't take it as a slight. Uh, I'm just, uh, I, I am in a flurry of assembling my opinion about Adventure Constant and if smaller things have fallen to the wayside, please uh, feel free to just overlook them in this instant. Um, so it's pulp. It's pure pulp, beginning to end. It's a fast-paced, interesting uh, action-adventure story. And it... Uh, it is highly unusual in a certain sense in that it does not take place in our world, but it takes place in what might be phrased a funhouse mirror version of our world. Where even though it's the modern times, even though it's 2000 and something, Japan is still ruled by the shogunate. Um, the Nords still, uh, at least their ceremonial gear is still Viking. Hawaii is its own kingdom, the Polynesian kingdom. Uh, China is the Red Collective. Germany is the, oh, I want to say this right. I don't want to screw this up. Uh, it was the mechanical something or other. I screwed it up. My apologies. Um, and the, uh, the Panama Canal, for example, can't be used because there are either creatures or men who wear the skins of creatures who prey upon the ships that pass through. So no one can uh, use the Panama Canal. They have to go all the way around. And everything in this world, it's called adventure constant because the very natural laws of this world are set up to encourage pulp adventure actions that if you're standing on a ship and you need to get to another ship, and the only way for you to get to another ship is to run along a spar, grab a rope, and swing over. Swing over like you were a pirate in, uh, in a classic Hollywood film. All you have to do is do that and you are more likely to succeed because reality itself wants you to succeed. Reality itself is helping you to succeed. Um, and 
I'm just gonna hang out another uh, watch this space on that. I apologize, folks. Uh, for those of you who, um, so in any case, the book is a funhouse mirror of our world because it's uh, colorful, it's interesting, it avoids a lot of the gray, dreary realities of existence, and uh, I found it to be lots of fun. Um, I can understand it's possible um, that some people might have difficulties with the book because of this, and also because I, I'm having a hard time because I have been told by certain people, some of whom I respect greatly as editors, one of whom I respect greatly as a reader, that many of the books that are being published right now in the indie scene aren't uh, have significant problems with them, and uh, they need to be brought up to snuff. But it's difficult for me to see in this case where a book that I like so much, um, I don't see the problems in it. It was just a lot of fun. I enjoyed the concept. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the story. They, at one point in time, there's this, uh, an island that they've set aside to be basically their equivalent of the UN. Instead of being in New York, they put it on an island in the middle of the Caribbean, far away from civilization, so that nothing the diplomats do on the island can uh, affect anything else. They locked all the diplomats but everybody who's a diplomat has these huge palaces uh of their culture uh, palaces appropriate to their native culture so the egyptians have pyramids and the japanese have this massive fortress uh like it was out of the edo period and at one point these two people a great big muscular a hawaiian gentleman they're trying to rescue a princess a hawaiian princess who's been kidnapped and uh, this dashing, daring American spaceman, whose, whose name is literally Jack Dashing. That's how dashing he is. His name is literally Jack Dashing. Um, have to sneak into this fortress in order to rescue the princess. And it's just a lot of fun. So I enjoyed the book, as I've enjoyed... Uh, most of uh, Mr. Mollison's work, I haven't read all of it. I, I haven't say, I'm not saying he has bad books. I just haven't read everything he's written. So I can't say I've enjoyed stuff I haven't written. Sorry, John. Um, but I, I have enjoyed it quite thoroughly. And if there is things about the book that are not up to snuff from some artistic sense, I don't know what they are. I can't tell you because I enjoyed the book so much. I guess I'm too close to the subject matter. I'm too close to um, to just enjoying the book to be able to sit back and, and pick it apart. So I wish I could give you a more balanced review. I wish I could tell you, oh, yes, absolutely, this book is great, but it does a little bit this here and it does a little bit there. So, you know, if you don't like this sign of stuff, you might, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I would recommend anyone try it. There's a link to buy it in the description, and it only costs $2.99 uh, on Amazon, so you're not out anything, really. Uh, I had to spend $8 to go see American Assassin. 
Um, and I did not enjoy that nearly as much as I enjoyed this book. Help me out here, Brian. Throw some content at the audience while I drink some water. Okay. Well, kind of picking up from our discussion of um, Seven Samurai, I just saw the Dollars trilogy for the first time. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Love it. A absolutely. And um, uh, For the audience that doesn't know, this is Sergio Leone's trilogy of Western starring Clint Eastwood. It is um, for a, a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. Absolutely. And the reason that it ties in with Seven Samurai, which was directed by Akira Kurosawa, is that Many people have said that A Fistful of Dollars is an unauthorized remake of Kurosawa's movie Yojimbo. And Kurosawa was one of those people, so he and Studio Toho sued Sergio Leone and Jolly Pictures over A Fistful of Dollars. Now, Leone claimed that he did not directly base the movie off of Yojimbo. Instead, he based it off of Dashiell Hammett's 1926 novel, Red Harvest, which Kurosawa reportedly also based Yojimbo off of. <laughs> yeah, so according to Leon, he's like, I, I, I was bringing the story home, right? And I was bringing it back to America. Well, the court disagreed, and Toho and Kurosawa won the suit. So they, they got the exclusive um, like East Asian rights to distribute Fistful of dollars and like 15% off the back end. As a result, Kurosawa ended up making more money off of Fistful of Dollars than he did off of Yojimbo. <laughs> um, I would highly recommend that you go watch Seven Samurai. I would highly recommend, if you haven't already seen it, to go watch the Dollars Trilogy. It is it is great and excellent. Um, although, since, since we're in the near vicinity now, um, the Samurai Trilogy, or the Musashi Trilogy, um, my... I'm not going to say it's bad, because it's not bad. It's got Toshiro Mifune in it, and he's just... Uh, he's an incredible actor. He just dominates the movie. Um, my difficulty is not that I couldn't tell what was going on. It's that in many scenes, I couldn't tell why something was happening. It seems like there were a lot of cultural assumptions in the original novel translated to the movie that I don't know enough about to understand what it was why the characters were doing what they were doing. And so a lot of times I was confused because events seemed to follow some logical progression, but the logic was alien to me and I didn't know what it was. And so I couldn't fully enjoy the trilogy, at least the two movies I've seen so far. Um, and again, I was, look, I, I was expecting something a lot more action-oriented than... I uh, than it is. This is very much a drama. It is not a combat movie. Somebody was, uh, there was a review, a review on the outside of the DVD slip from Netflix that says, from the very beginning, uh, he's trying to be a courageous samurai, and in the amazing 
thrilling climax of the first movie, he proves how courageous he is. I was expecting a battle. I was expecting a sword fight. When someone says to me, thrilling samurai climax, prove courage. You expect a sword fight. That was not what I got. He may have shown courage in what happened at the end of the first movie, but it was absolutely not what the description of the movie I had read had indicated was going to happen. And it may be unfair to the movie to say, but, oh, here it is. Let me read it. I've got the exact text in front of me. In the film's bracing climax, Miyamoto finally gets a chance to prove himself. You expect a sword fight, and that is not what you get. And it was kind of a letdown, and so the movie, I didn't enjoy it as much as I would have otherwise. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Please don't misunderstand me. I am saying that if you go into this movie with the expectation that bracing climax that uh, Netflix promises you when you rent the DVD, if you go in with the expectation that bracing climax means awesome sword fight, you will be bitterly disappointed in the first movie. Now, the second movie had several awesome sword fights in it, but it also did not end on an awesome sword fight, and the true climax of the character was a complete, the true climax of this character's journey at that moment completely dealt with interpersonal drama and not combat. So, um, that's my review of the two movies so far that I have read or have watched in the Samurai trilogy. Um, I've got the third movie ready to go. I have the, uh, I have the DVD right here. I hope to be able to watch it sometime early next week. Uh, but right now, uh, it's called Duel at Ganryu Island. Right now, uh, I don't know when I'm going to be able to get to it. All right. I think we've gone on. Well, let me stop. Is there anything else that you feel that we should relate to the audience? Oh, we might want to save something for next time. <laughs> Secrets of the universe. Get a notepad. We ended up covering a lot more than I thought we would in this show. Um, and I don't know if there's a strong through line to it, but um, my recommendations, if we want to back up, my first recommendation is uh, click on the link to Twitter, read my tweet, and look at the uh, uh, images I assembled. Um, I, I will say, if I could pride myself on it, I went out of my way to find great images, uh, beautiful images of the comic book heroes, heroines in question. So there's a link to that in the description under Loathing Beauty is the name of it um, because I'm talking about why some people loathe beauty and love ugliness. Click on that. Click on the Amazon link to Adventure Constant and buy John Mollison's book. If it sounds at all interesting to you, I loved it. It was a great uh, pulp adventure story absolutely check that out and then click to the link on kairos and go get your free copy of hymn of the pearl 
Um, by the way, folks, if uh, you're wondering why you should watch the show live is because there is a long and involved discussion right now uh, in the comments to this video that you will never see because they're evanescent. They will go away after we stop this show. There is a long discussion, an argument, a very, you know, a, a, a very uh, stirring argument uh, about whether or not beauty is objective. So if you didn't come and listen to the show live, you missed that discussion entirely. It's very interesting. And one of the participants, to be fair, uh, he was um, brave enough in his opinions, certain enough in his opinions, uh, to come to the show live. It was the gentleman I was arguing with on Twitter. And so I want to compliment him on that. I want to know there's no hard feelings. I'm not angry at him. I'm not upset at him. Uh, and I'm not slighting him in any way. He came here uh, to the show, to the comments, to defend his uh, opinions, defend his beliefs, and I think that's admirable. And at least from what I've seen of the chat, uh, he is being perfectly polite in doing so and has not resorted to either name-calling or abuse, and so I want to compliment him on that too. He's more than welcome to come and listen to the show. I don't ban people just because they disagree with me or, or anybody else. Um, any last thoughts before we take off? Yes. Just want to let our listeners know that um, this Wednesday, I've got a special on the books episode for you. We're going to have author M.T. White as my guest on Geek Gab on the books. It's Wednesday. Uh, should be like 4 p.m. Eastern. Awesome. All right, folks, this is Geek Gab for Saturday. Uh, <laughs> September 16th, 2017. We appreciate everybody who tuned in live. We hope all of you who download this show via podcast uh, will also love, love, love the discussion we had today. Coincidentally, if this is your first time listening to the show and you are wondering to yourself, self, I enjoyed this, this show. I love this show. This is great. I never thought I could find a geek-centric podcast with hosts who could discuss the aesthetics of beauty and discuss the connection with spirituality and culture and discuss Alexander Solzhenitsyn while at the same time they're also arguing about comic book heroines. I never thought I could encounter something so amazing and so sublime. I want to hear more. What can I do to hear more? Fear not, new audience members. I am here to answer your pleas. All you have to do is double secret subscribe. Click the subscribe button underneath this very video and then click the little bell icon and you will get announcements as to when this show is going live and you too can come and participate in the chat. You can read, uh, you can interact with our, and I'm not kidding folks, this is not a joke. You can interact with our highly erudite and uh, intelligent Audience members who come and show up and chat, great people, interesting people I, I talk with all the time on Twitter and other places. Come, put in your two cents, ask questions of us, the hosts, which we frequently answer on the show. Double secret subscribe. Don't just click subscribe, click the bell icon, or YouTube will not tell you when we're going live. But just in case you have moved beyond YouTube, just in case you don't want to shackle yourself to the iron bands of the YouTube dictatorship, you can also go to iTunes, do a search for Geek Gab, and bam, 
there we are. But wait, there's more. If you're not a fan of Apple, if you don't own any iDevices, but you love, love, love the latest Android distros, if you love, love, love your Android device, go to the Google Play Store app on your Android device. Do a search for GeekGab. We are indeed available there. You can subscribe to the podcast and download it. Or if you would rather listen to us on the web, go to soundcloud.com. Do a search for Geek Gab, and we are also available there. So four places you can catch this show, four places that you too can be informed and educated. We appreciate everyone who came in and participated in the live chat. We appreciate everyone who is listening to this show later. Thank you for tuning in, folks. We, we're leaving you for today. We are out of here. But don't worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.